Are you dreaming about travelling again? I bet you are. So give yourself a break and listen to my brand new travel podcast. It's made for people like you, by people like you. And in these podcasts, there will be interviews with different types of travellers and the strange characters that I've met on the road. With stories and anecdotes from the last 32 years of my continuous backpacking and working around the world. Also, there'll be cynical destination descriptions and the occasional travel tip to smooth your journey. And for all the squeamish listeners out there, I just want to say that no studio was used or abused in the making of these podcasts or any of the recordings. So please check it out, and I hope you like it. Oh, and by the way, my name's Alan. And this time last year, the local farmers were working the fields around La Casa. When I saw my first swallow and heard my first cuckoo, I knew spring had arrived in northern Spain. And with the blossom on the fruit trees in the garden starting to open, the days were getting a little warmer, but the nights were still cold and damp. Tension around La Casa was a little higher, a little more strung out now as people grew tired of the lockdown. As Gala spends her days in the hills away from La Casa, Carlos finds a falcon's nest with eggs. Paco is still threatening to leave tomorrow, but we know tomorrow never comes. David has his conspiracy theories about Covid. And as for me, I'm just chilling in the hammock. Tensions rose regarding the phones. David didn't have one. He had an addictive character and would be on it all day. Another thing Francis controlled. But he used to use Pacos and this used to cause problems. Once David had borrowed a phone, he'd call everybody he knew. So when Paco went to access his porn, all the data had been used up. So Paco refused to lend it to him anymore, which annoyed David. And charging was a problem too, but once a week David would collect all the phones and power banks up and take them down to a house in the village and charge them up. David was also getting tired of Francis's pressuring people, himself included. And there'd been some heavy discussions between David and Francis on several occasions in the past that I'd witnessed. And now it was building up inside David and things were getting worse over time. And two weeks later, it came to a head. Francis pushed David too far, and he exploded into a rage and was shouting at Francis in the garden. During the argument, Francis started saying derogatory personal things about David and his family. A touchy subject at the best of times. The shouting turned to screaming at each other for over half an hour. When David screamed in his face, leave here, find somewhere else to live. And Francis, almost whimpering, said, 
but I have no money. Apparently, Francis apologised the next day, but the damage was done. Two days later, he disappeared. He sneaked off and nobody saw him even leave. Carla, the only girl staying at La Casa, was told that if she ever needed a hot shower, the people that ran the hostel down in the village, in San Justo de Viga, would let her use theirs any time. And one day she took up the opportunity. But she was seen by the police. When asked where she was going, she told them. And I can't remember now, but I think she was already she'd already had the shower and she was on her way back to La Casa. And they still gave her a real bollocking for being out on the streets. She would often go off all day, just disappear into the backwoods. She's a person who needs to roam. But all the streets were empty. You couldn't go out unless it was to the pharmacia, the chemist or the supermarket. Then one day she decided to go to the supermarket in Astorga, seven kilometres away. And on this particular day, on her way back, she stopped by the side of the road for a rest from the hot sun and she cracked open a beer she had bought and was happily drinking it when a policewoman drove up and asked what the hell she thought she was doing. And she got another bollocking and told never to do it again. And then there was the occasion when Paco cycled off to the supermarket in Astorga to buy two cases of beer on his bike. And he made it back without even being seen by the police. Then the next week he just wanted to pop down to the village, three kilometres away, for tobacco and he got sent back before he even reached the shop. He was told that if he comes out again and is caught, he'll be put in jail, which really pissed him off. Paco didn't go anywhere after that, just stayed around the shack all day, complaining. Carlos would occasionally go off for short walks looking for birds' nests or to refill the water containers, Otherwise he stayed in the shack almost daily, sitting around the fire trying to keep warm, talking to Paco. Trying to keep warm during those early days of March and April took a lot of wood. And at the beginning, David preferred to do the wood collection himself. He also cooked. Sometimes we'd have eggs to eat. Dozens of eggs. So we got boiled eggs, sometimes fried eggs, sometimes eggs made into an omelette. Gala cooked too. She did bigger meals with rice and pasta, if we had it, or potatoes if we had them. Sometimes she'd make a big pan of vegetable soup, which was always good. Before Paco, there was a no alcohol rule, and no smoking in the shack rule, and if you wanted to cook, it had to be done in the goat shed. David insisted on doing the washing up. He had a special way of doing it, so he knew it was done properly. But as I said, all that slowly changed over time. Paco sat in the shack all day complaining about everything, all day, every day. The longer the lockdown, the worse the complaining got. Nothing was ever right, nothing good enough. He'd complain about the weather, the lack of proper food, 
no beer, no Wi-Fi, nowhere to charge his phone, and the lack of freedom, etc. And he enjoyed stirring it up a bit between people. One afternoon, when I was walking into the shack, Paco said to me, Alan, how can I get a lot of money without working? And I said, you could always go back to robbing banks. With the lockdown and restrictions, traffic was sparse on the main road. Once or twice a week we'd see the Guadalajara put up a roadblock on the top road, which we could just see from where we were. They'd stop traffic. At that time, the only people moving around were the local farmers working the fields around La Casa. Now, down to five, we all had our own characters and ways. As I said earlier, our daily routines defined us. Carlos was an early riser. He would go directly to the shack for a coffee and roll a cigarette. Paco, on the other hand, came out of his tent anywhere between 11 and 2 most days, having spent the night playing games and watching porn on his phone until the early hours. Like Carlos, Paco would tell stories of his exploits, which got more and more outlandish and a lot less convincing as time went on. And he seemed scared of night noises, and Carlos would pretend to be a wild boar, grunting like a pig near his tent. And the next day he'd describe his terror at hearing a pig trying to get to him around midnight. He'd stay awake all night in case it came back. And then one day, out of nowhere, on the dusty, deserted Camino Trail, we saw a person walking towards our camp from the west. They were a long way off, and we hadn't seen another person in a long time. And they were only carrying a plastic bag and a hefty club-like walking stick, and nothing else, no backpack, no bike. It could be a local, we thought. But as they got nearer, the person's body language said a lot. They looked tired, tired of walking. And also maybe tired of the struggle avoiding the police. He was a tall young Moroccan. He had walked an incredibly long distance that day. And his name was Tao. And like everybody else before him, he didn't know what to make of the instant free hospitality. He too looked a little apprehensive and worried, just as I did, sitting amongst a strange group of people for the first time. And he was hungry. He looked like he hadn't eaten for days. And David took care of him, giving him a sleeping bag and a mattress in the goat shed to sleep on. Tao was a quiet person. He didn't say much, and when he did speak, he was softly spoken. He was a willing worker, helping David in different jobs around the place, digging a hole in the back garden and getting wood. His story was revealed a little by little as time went on. He'd been in Spain about 16 years, he said, smuggled over in a box. He also said something about being on a ship, but I'm not too sure, and it didn't really matter. Back in Morocco, he'd been his father's goat herder. When it came to food at La Casa, as time went on, and more and more people arrived and stayed, 
the food became more of a feast or famine type situation. There were times when we only had two large sacks of potatoes, for example. And for the next week, we had boiled potatoes, baked potatoes, fried potatoes, meaning we had plenty of chips. And the next week, we'd only have eggs. Or a week of biscotto, which is the cake. But then there were occasions when we had a little of everything. Even different types of nuts and biscuits, different vegetables, meat, pancetta. Similar to a thin pork steak and sometimes sausages, which were always cooked over the open fire in the middle of the front garden. And a great favourite for the hobos. For me, hygiene was right up there on the list, especially when living the basic lives we were. All you need is soap and water, or hand steriliser. Anything is better than nothing. And then one day I saw David attempt to hand Paco an antiseptic wet wipe to clean his hands after he'd been squatting in the field opposite. We were all sitting there, and Paco said dismissively, What do I want that for? And even David was a little surprised. Paco and Carlos didn't even attempt to clean their hands after they'd used the field right next to the buildings as a toilet. And then, touching the biscuits and the cake, I stopped eating them, only eating what I knew was untouched by others or cooked well. We were all in the same situation. Most of the people at La Casa didn't walk very far from the camp to do their business, and hygiene for them just didn't exist. And as far as I'm aware, the only other person with the right idea about hygiene was Gala, and she was the only other pilgrim staying at La Casa. This is one of my biggest pet hates. Why do almost all city people think it's clever and liberating just to go and shit on top of the ground and walk away without looking back? Even worse for those people who drop their toilet paper on the ground too and happily walk away thinking how clever they've been. It's not just unsightly, but it's a health hazard too. And it's very offensive to country folk. And it's dangerous because human waste contains a lot of toxins and pathogens that flies pick up while eating your personal waste. Then they land on your food before you eat it. Why would you want that? And just one other point, for all those people who think they're super cool and smart by saying, but my poo is biodegradable because I only eat organic food, so it must be okay. Well, sorry, that's a poor excuse. Simply because there's nothing greener or more organic than a cow, and their shit can easily kill an area on the ground a foot round for a long time. And farmers regularly drag a rake behind a tractor to break it up and spread it around, dispersing it because it does less damage to the field. Also, large amounts of waste from cows is so acidic and full of pathogens that it takes up to two years before they can be used as manure on the soil. And human waste carries even more. And when using the countryside as a toilet, it has some rules to it. So this is how you're meant to do it in the great outdoors, for those who don't know, wherever you are in the world. And the secret is not to leave any sign or any trace that you've been there. For a start, you don't do it on your own doorstep. You walk well away from your camp for more than 200 metres. 
well away from any buildings, and you never ever do it near river, ponds, lakes, streams, however good the view is. You dig a hole, a little deeper than six inches or about 16 centimetres, using a stick or a trowel you've taken with you. Poop in the hole, put your toilet paper in the hole too, and then fill it back up, cover it over well, put some twigs and leaves etc on top, so other people and animals wouldn't even know you've been there. Leave no trace. And simply use sterilizer to disinfect your hands or wash them thoroughly when you get back to camp. We all do it, we just need to do it right. This story from La Casa happened to me while I was in the woods. One morning I set off around 6.30am to do what I had to do. I dug a hole and I was just squatting down when suddenly from behind I heard an incredibly loud bellow, louder than the horn of a fire truck, and it automatically made me leap into the air with surprise. I grabbed my trousers up and turned to see a stag deer standing there, its mouth open and nose turned up about five metres away. We stared at each other for a few seconds, then it bound off through the pine trees in the opposite direction. And working on the principle that lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place, I returned to a nearby area the next day to do what bears do in the woods. But today, I was an hour later. I, I looked around for any wild animals or anything else that might sneak up on me, but there was nothing. Just a few birds. Then I dug my hole, and as I squatted, I almost jumped out of my skin as the same stag barked loudly right behind me again, then disappeared into the woods. Tune in next week to see if David's preaching has converted Tao, Paco, and Carlos into believing, and you'll meet Frank, the Italian who looks like an Arab and is very useful with a knife. And as lockdown is eased, does the tension too? Well, that's all for this week, folks. And please remember, the same road can be travelled a thousand different ways. So get out there and make it your own. Until next week.